When does the story of Christmas begin? Does it begin with the birth of that little baby boy so long ago? Or does it begin with the angel announcing to Joseph and to Mary that, that he was on his way? Or, or was it Caesar's census? Well, we recognize that the story of Christmas actually begins long before all of those times. In fact, it was eternally in the heart of God, but, but it begins long before the birth of Jesus. In fact, it goes all the way back to creation. It goes back to the garden. This is when the story of Christmas really begins. You see, it was in the garden that God had created this amazing paradise, this place that was perfect and beautiful. And it was a space for him to fellowship with the crown of his creation, with people. He'd created Adam and Eve to have perfect fellowship with him, to enjoy perfect fellowship of knowing him, of walking with him, of being close to him. Their hearts weren't mangled by sin, weren't stained by sin and all of the terrible things that that brings. No, it was, it was a beautiful time. It was a perfect time. And yet, something terrible happened. Adam and Eve walked away from the abounding love of God. They walked away from it. Why on earth would they do that? It made no sense. But in reality, sin never really Makes sense. So when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the horrors of sin came crashing down. The reality of of sin and its consequences broke into creation. And now all of creation is, is good, but it's broken. And every human heart is broken, yes, ruined by sin. All of creation suffers under the weight. So any serious discussion of Christmas really has to begin here. It has to begin in the garden. And it was in the midst of this awful scene, this scene of Adam and Eve rejecting the rule of God in their lives, his gracious rule, as they're standing there holding that forbidden fruit, as they go and hide and scurry away. It's in this awful scene that God comes and offers mercy. You see, he would promise there in the early chapters of Genesis to send a Savior, to to rescue And God would would later call out a people to himself and and he would give them his law and he would call them to faithfulness. But like us, they were never truly faithful. In fact, his people lived in reckless rebellion. And so God would send his prophets, his prophets to come and to call them to repentance and and to offer them hope. And this morning, we're going to read from one of those prophets, the the prophet Isaiah, the the prophet Isaiah spoke some 700 years before the time of Jesus' birth, and he, and he called the people to repentance to God and, and to find hope in God. And they were in a tough situation when, when Isaiah prophesied to them. There was all sorts of trouble. The surrounding nations, Assyria, would be coming after them. Later, Babylon would be coming after them. They found themselves, particularly because of their sin, facing a lot of heartache. And like God's people of old, we too turn away from him. And we feel the weight of our sin. And not just that, but we feel the weight of of the effects of sin. We feel the weight of just circumstances and suffering. We recognize that as good as things are, they're still not right. How can things be right? How how can things be made right in a world like our own that's, that's broken? What is our redemption in the face of sin and suffering. That's what we'll think about this morning as we read in Isaiah 61. 
and we'll discover that Christ's mission, his reason for coming, he came to redeem and to restore a people for his own glory. Let's look in Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This passage teaches that Jesus redeems and restores lives shattered by sin and suffering. Jesus redeems and restores lives that are shattered by by sin and suffering. If you look back into chapter 60, the prophet tells of a coming time when God's people would experience incredible blessing. And here in chapter 61, we see who is going to bring those future blessings. Now, as you look in verse 1, the speaker is sort of mysterious. We, we don't know exactly who the speaker is. But as you continue reading in chapter 61 and you look at uh, what the entire book of Isaiah has to say, what the surrounding verses have to say, and when you consider all of Scripture together, the identity of this speaker becomes quite clear. This is none other than the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ. He, he comes by saying... Or he begins to speak by saying, the Lord's Spirit is upon me. The the coming Messiah, the the Son of God would come and he would be given a mission from God himself. God would set him apart by by putting his Spirit upon him. And here we see in this uh, chapter here, in the the first verse of this chapter, we see hints of the doctrine of the Trinity. that The understanding that there's one God who exists as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right here in verse 1, we see that the Father... The first person of the Trinity sends Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and he puts his spirit upon him, the the third person of the Trinity. So we see hints of that important Christian doctrine right here. What's, What's the point? What is Isaiah saying? That God has a mission to send his son for our rescue, and that's the reason his spirit is upon him, because of this special mission from God. What's the mission? Well, we see the Messiah comes to preach good news to the poor comes to preach good news to the poor. The word poor here is broader than than simply financial hardship, though certainly it would include that. But this is a person who's afflicted, facing any kind of of difficulty and hardship and grief to these who are hurting, who are afflicted. Yes, who are poor. Jesus comes to bring good news, to bring the message of deliverance, to bring the message of hope and restoration. He says he comes here in verse 1 to bind up the brokenhearted. Notice here that Jesus himself is showing personal concern for the brokenhearted. He's not from afar saying, oh, I wish you blessings and heading off. No, we see his personal involvement in the lives of those who are brokenhearted. He, He cares himself The word here for broken means to shatter or to smash. So what we see is that Jesus comes to bind up and put back together the one whose heart has been shattered, the one whose heart has been smashed, the one who's weighed down by the the weight of sin, by, by the weight of suffering. 
Now, sin in and of itself brings a certain misery to it. Now, we recognize that sin is often fun for a while. It's a lot of fun for a while. But the reality is that the fun ends eventually, and sin brings an awful lot of heartache, brings an awful lot of brokenness. And so there's a certain misery that comes just from from our playing around with sin. But not only that, just the the effects of sin from from a larger scale, the the fact that everything is broken and in creation is is harmed by sin. We recognize this brings suffering. This is why natural disasters happen. This is why disease happens. This is why we face the kind of terrible circumstances that sometimes come at us because, because creation is broken. It's those who have been heartbroken by sin and who have been heartbroken by suffering that Jesus comes. So while Christmas is a time of joy, we have to recognize that for many, Christmas is a time of real suffering. There's not a celebration of what is. There's a brokenheartedness for for what isn't. There's a despair for dead hopes. There's grief over lost loved ones. A lot of painful circumstances. And yet it is to you. It is to those who are facing these circumstances, who are brokenhearted, that Jesus comes. He comes to restore and to heal, to put back together. We all know the children's nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Is Humpty's story your story? Is this the reality that in the midst of brokenness and heartache, that there's no one who can put us back together again? Is this our story? And because Jesus come, because he came, the answer is no, it's not our story at all. This is our story, that we have a God who sent his son to come and pick up the the shattered pieces, to pick up the shards, and to begin to put our lives back together No, he doesn't need the king's horses. He doesn't need the king's men. Why? Because he is the king of kings. And he come, he came as a babe, came for our rescue. And he grew up, lived a perfect sinless life, was nailed to the cross. Why was he nailed to the cross? Because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. He took the penalty, the punishment for our sin upon himself. He was buried and he came back to life, conquering death. And he makes a way for us to be saved, to to be rescued. So in the midst of our brokenheartedness, the shards of our heart need not lay scattered across. No, in Christ, we can be restored. We can be put back together. He also comes, we see, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, in his pronouncement here, the Messiah is referencing Old Testament law that talked about the year of the Jubilee. Every 50th year, there would, there would be the, the year of the Jubilee. In the year of the Jubilee, uh, Hebrews who had become slaves for, for some sort of a financial hardship, they, they had become slaves or they had sold their land because they were in a financial duress, these folks would get their land back and slaves would be set free. It was, it was a wonderful time of, of celebration and a reminder that, that, that there would be freedom for you. And that language is what Christ uses here. He's going to come and he's going to let those who are enslaved and who are weighing down and burdened, he's going to set them free. He's, he's going to let them go. Now, the real captivity 
of God's people wouldn't be the captivity that they had experienced in Egypt. It wouldn't even be the captivity that they would soon experience in Babylon. The real captivity of God's people was a deep spiritual captivity. They had become captives to sin. They had become captives to their own passions. You understand, sin never stays small. It never stays small in your life, and it never stays small in our life, in, in my life. It, it's like this sin, if we allow it to, to begin, uh, to, if we allow it a place in our lives, it begins to kind of grow, and it begins to wrap its evil talons around our hearts, and, and it does so in such a way that it imprisons us, and often it blinds us and keeps us from even being able to see. We, we are in a prison of our own making often. And it's to those of us who have put ourselves in this prison that God comes, that Christ comes and says, you know what, I am coming to pardon you. I'm coming to open the door and to set you free. Yes, from the prison of your own making, I will set you free. Christ will swing the doors of the prison of our sin wide open. In verse 2, we see that he comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he says... God's favor, this time, it's now come. In the midst of darkness and devastation, God has a plan to restore and to rescue. Now, if we turn over to Luke chapter 4, and let's do that, Luke 4, and look in verse 16. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and he's going to, to, to cite these verses that we're talking about in Isaiah. So, Luke 4, beginning in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What we see is that Jesus says to all of the people, what you had been hoping for, it has happened. You've been wanting and longing for this one that would come I'm him. I'm I'm the one who has come to rescue some 700 years after the prophet Isaiah had announced my coming. So with the birth of Christ, God's plan to redeem and to rescue was in full motion. As a young man, he stands in that synagogue and he announces the joyful news that God's plan was coming to pass. Notice that Jesus stops with the phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you look in verse 2 of Isaiah, uh, the next line says, the day of God's vengeance. But Jesus doesn't mention that in Luke 4. Why doesn't he? This is why. Because Jesus came as a little baby, grew up as a man, would die on the cross, and he came to rescue and to save. That's why he came as a baby. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And he doesn't mention anything about the day of vengeance that Isaiah talks about. Why? Because the day of God's vengeance would come later. The day of God's vengeance would come when Christ returns again. You see, he came as a babe the first time, but when he comes again, he will come as a warrior king, one who will conquer the evil kingdom of darkness, 
One who will overturn all of the effects of sin, all of the suffering. He'll put an end to Satan's rule. He'll put an end to to all those, to all who would rebel against God's sovereign rule. That'll all end. But Jesus doesn't mention that. Why? Because this is the year of God's favor. One need not experience the day of God's judgment because it's the year of God's favor. How do we experience the favor of the Lord? Well, we we turn from our sin and we put our faith in him. We call out to him. We, We believe in him. Jesus says just that in John 5, 24. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. And will, and will not come under judgment. He's passed from death to life. You see, when we turn from our sin and we put our faith in Jesus, when we call out to him in simple faith, he saves, he rescues, and we can know him in the year of the Lord's favor. We don't have to know him in the day of his vengeance. But if you refuse to believe, if you reject his message, then you will know him as judge. You won't know him in the year of the Lord's favor. But friend, you'll know him in the day of vengeance. Right now, you have the opportunity to know him in the year of the Lord's favor, to be redeemed, to be rescued. Will you know Jesus as redeemer or will you know him as judge? Jesus comes that you might know him as redeemer. And we see here at the end of verse two that he comes to comfort those who mourn. He comes to help those in despair. Verse 3, he says that instead of ashes of mourning, there would be a beautiful headdress. And in this time, uh, often one would mourn by putting ashes uh, up on their head. And these ashes would signify gloom and despair and mourning. But but the Messiah is going to come and he's going to say, wipe away those ashes of gloom and put on this beautiful headdress, this crown of beauty to signify joy and celebration. And he said, put on the oil of gladness, another custom in the midst of celebrations to anoint one with oil. And he says, in fact, you're gonna put on the garment of praise. And and this is the idea that your eyes will be so focused on the beauty and the goodness and the glory of God that your heart will overflow with praise. So instead of living in gloom and despair, you have joy, you have life. In fact, if you look in verse 3, God will give a new name. And what's that new name? That you may be called oaks of righteousness. Think of an oak tree, a mighty oak tree. This, This tree signifies flourishing. It signifies strength. It signifies stability. Now contrast that that picture of this mighty oak tree with the words afflicted and brokenhearted. And captive. Do you see the contrast that's there? God's plan is to take those who are brokenhearted, who are afflicted, and to turn them into oaks of righteousness. Isn't that amazing to think about? You see, he redeems and he restores for his glory. In fact, if you look there in verse 3, it says that, that this is a planting of the Lord. This is his work, his work of salvation. He planted these trees. This isn't the work of man. He redeems for his glory. And so, let's think more together about what this looks like in our lives. First, Christ came to set you free from the merciless grip 
of sin and suffering. He came to set you free from the merciless grip of sin and suffering. He came to release you of the prison that is sin. He came to unlock the door and to let you off the hook, to pardon you. The poverty that is sin, it's over. You're made whole, yes, rich when you're in Christ. Do you remember when you were a kid playing with your dad or grandpa or uncle? Your dad might get you in a grip. He would hold on to you and you couldn't get out. Your only hope of getting out of that grip was his mercy. Now, this is what we see when we look in Scripture regarding sin. Sin gets a hold of you and gets you in its grip. And it wants to hold you. And it will not let you go because understand, Satan has no mercy. Sin will not be your friend. Sin holds you in that grip. You have no hope of getting free on your own. Your hope of getting out of that grip of sin is that you have a redeemer who would come and release the power of sin and the grip of sin. And you have that when you turn to Christ. You have just that. You have a savior, a rescuer, a redeemer. It is Christ who comes to set the prisoners free. So we've seen that Christ comes to to set us free from the merciless grip of sin and suffering. Number two, two, Christ came to gladden hearts sickened by sin and suffering. He came to gladden hearts sickened by sin and suffering. What did the scriptures say? He came with good news. What's the good news? Sin need no longer be your boss. Sin need no longer have that unyielding hold on you. The damning foot of sin has been lifted off of your neck. In Christ, you can be redeemed and changed. Have you turned to Christ for that redemption? Have you? There must be a turning point in your life when when you call out to him. When you say to him, God, I I surrender. I'm going to follow you now. I, I, I believe in you. You see, because Christ came... The gnawing despair of sin's force and effect, it's over. For sin's ruthless consequences and cruel suffering are not the way the story ends. The first coming of Jesus reminds us that another coming is coming. Friends, another coming is coming. Jesus is going to return again. And though we suffer now, we know this is not the way the story winds up. For when he comes again, the suffering is going to be unwound. It's going to be undone. To those who are hurting and afflicted, he brings great news. The days coming in which these horrors of sin and suffering are going to become overcome. Yes, engulfed in God's deep love, his greater love. There will be joy unspeakable when this day comes. This will be the new creation when God recreates that paradise where he has perfect fellowship with his people. In fact, Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5, give us a picture, a glimpse, just a glimpse of the joy that's ahead. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer be. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. So because Jesus come, the clock is winding down on the devastation that is brought by sin. And because we know these gospel truths, our hearts can be glad even in the midst of great suffering, 
even in the midst of difficulty and hardship. A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting with folks after church, and uh, any of you who have stuck around for any amount of time know my kids are usually running around. And um, I noticed, I'm always kind of trying to survey, where are they? I noticed I couldn't see my boy, and started kind of looking, and I noticed that one of those flags was laying in the floor, and I was pretty sure that was a clue as to his location. It wasn't positive, but I was suspecting that. So I walked over there, and I began to say his name. And Landon came running out of that room that's behind the piano here, and he was crying. So I, I picked him up, and I said, baby, what's the matter? And he was looking at the flag, and he was, it was, he was scared that he had broken that flag. Well, of course, it was just out of its base. It, it wasn't broken. It was, it was all right. But he ran and scared. He ran and hid because he was scared. He'd been doing something he knew he wasn't supposed to do. I told him, don't play with the flags. And and he had done exactly opposite of what I told him to do. And after doing so, he found himself, well, he found himself like we find ourselves with sin, broken and hiding and feeling pretty miserable. This is a picture of us. We, We know what we do is wrong, we do it anyway, and eventually the weight of our sin, it catches up with us, the, the flag's broken. And we try to hide out in our sin. We, we try to find our own solution. We try to find a way to make it better on our own. We hide. But friends, this is why Christ came. You don't have to run and hide. You can run into the hands of your Father. You can run into His arms. His arms are open wide for your redemption for your restoration. This is the story of Christmas. This is what it's really about. Christ came to forgive and to heal sin, sick hearts. What good news is that? So run to Christ. Find redemption, find restoration, find joy and life and forgiveness. So we've seen that Christ came to gladden hearts that were weighted by sin's awful effects. Number three, Christ came to form and grow a people in which sin's horrors would be undone. Christ came to form and to grow a people in which sin's horrors would be undone. Now remember, rewind with me just for a second. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship with God. What an awesome experience to think about. Their hearts and minds not weighted by any of the things that weighed our hearts and minds down. And yet sin destroyed that. But that's exactly what's going to be undone. That's exactly what God is going to change and transform. You see, because Jesus came, the brokenness that we know that that is sin and suffering, it's being undone. When you come to know Jesus, when you're regenerated, when you're saved, God begins to change you and and shape you and remake you. On this side of heaven, we'll, we'll never be all that God intends for us to be. We'll realize that in the new creation. But on this side of heaven, God's plan is that you're constantly, always growing and becoming more like him, loving him more, knowing him more. Now, do you see, think, think with me for, uh, for a second about this. Do you see how this undoes what sin does? What does sin do? It causes affliction and brokenheartedness, causes captivity. In a sense, you could say that sin causes you to rot away spiritually until you die. But when we come to Christ as our redeemer, as our restorer, what we find is that God completely undoes that. And he gives you life. He makes you like an oak of righteousness. He, 
He makes you this picture of strength and stability and flourishing. I don't mean that physically. You, you may be struggling physically or in other ways, but I'm saying spiritually he forms you into a mighty oak of righteousness. That's the opposite of what sin does. He's undoing what sin does. That's why Jesus came, to restore, to rescue. Now, the re- this restoration that we enjoy now if we know Christ It'll be completed in the new creation. And then not one mark of sin's horrors will be left in your life. Not one mark of the awful consequences of sin and suffering will be left. No, all will be glory in him. We'll be perfectly righteous and enjoying incredible fellowship with God like Adam and Eve before the fall. Only in this new creation, our hearts won't be prone to wonder. I will be perfectly satisfied in the beauty and the greatness of our Lord. So Christ came to form and to grow a people in which sin's horrors would be completely undone. This time of year, we're thinking an awful lot about gifts, aren't we? Um, Buying this gift or getting that gift, those kinds of things. But what is more precious than the gift of a newborn? What's sweeter than looking at those tiny fingers those miniature toes, looking at those adorable little eyes, hearing the little sleep grunts and seeing the little sleep smiles. Man, you see that. And a new life, a, a newborn means, means new life. It means new joy. But that babe that was born so long ago doesn't just mean new joy Friends, it means eternal joy. It doesn't just mean new life. His birth means eternal life. That babe would grow up and preach the good news and he would lay his life down for our rescue because Christ has come. You are redeemed. Because Christ has come, you're being restored from sin and suffering. So believers, don't live in despair Christ has come. Have joy. Have joy. He's redeemed you. He is redeeming you. He's shaping you and and changing you, forming you not into the afflicted, the captive, but into that mighty oak of righteousness. And one day you'll know that full well. You'll be fully formed for his glory. The effects of sin, if you are in Christ, are indeed becoming undone. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, friend, I want you to know Jesus is coming again, but this time not as a baby. He's coming again to bring God's judgment against the kingdom of darkness. You don't want to face the wrath of God. You don't have to because he came. You don't have to. You see this morning what God is calling you to do if you would if you would hear what he's saying to you, what is he saying to you today? He's saying to you, won't you come? Won't you come and find redemption? I sent my son for you. I sent my son so that you could be redeemed. Won't you come? Come in the year of the Lord's favor. I'm inviting you, come. So why would you this morning walk away when, when God is inviting you to be saved and to be redeemed? Why would you walk away? What are you looking for? There's no one who can save but him. No one who can redeem but the Lord Jesus. 
So ask him to forgive. Yes, ask him to save while it is still the year of the Lord's favor. Join me in prayer.